If you don't know who I am, you're welcome. But I am the music and arts and youth pastor here at the church. My name is Ricky Ragone. And uh, while our lead teaching pastor, Pastor Lou, is away on vacation, I get to fill the pulpit. And uh, I always enjoy this time that we get together. So um, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, 12 to 24, whether that's a paper Bible or not a paper Bible, wherever you access the Word. Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 24. Um, and I also want to make a note that we're hovering right around the one-year anniversary of when I preached last year and Avengers Infinity War started playing on the screen beside me for two minutes and we all just had to wait for it to end because our system froze. So I always like to celebrate milestones of the church and uh, in celebration I again will not be doing a single thing with video that could possibly screw this up. I'll screw it up on my own. I don't need the help. Um, so, anyway, all right. Here we go. Now, we're, we're, we're continuing, obviously, um, in Luke, and we're picking up where we left off at that same meal that Jesus was having last week. And if there's one thing that we've learned in this series is that dinner with Jesus is never just dinner. You're never just going to have a meal with him, right? If we go all the way back to where, you know, you see Jesus having dinner with Levi, it's a teaching moment. It's a teaching moment for the onlooking Pharisees who see him dining with Levi and these tax collectors, and they're scoffing and like, look at this man who has dinner with sinners. And he, he's teaching them that he's here to, to call sinners to himself, not the righteous. It's, the, it's not the well who need a physician, but the sick. Then we see Jesus has dinner with a Pharisee named Simon, and a woman of the city enters, and Luke calls her a sinful woman. She was a sinner, and the Pharisees judge her and belittle her, but Jesus shows her compassion, and he teaches them on the forgiveness of sins. Jesus had dinner with Mary and Martha, and Martha was so aggravated that she was spending all this time getting things ready and being hospitable. And there's Mary just sitting at Jesus' feet. And she's like, tell Mary to help me. Dinner's never just dinner. He teaches Martha that, no, what Mary's doing is actually good. What you're doing is important, but she's choosing a very good thing right now. And then Jesus has dinner with the Pharisees and the lawyers. A significant teaching moment. Uh, an awkward meal, probably, to say the least as he calls out their hypocrisy and their misunderstanding of the word of God, and he launches into these woes, first against the Pharisees, then the lawyers, they, they perk up, and he's like, oh, I got some for you too, and he just unleashes these woes against them where they're missing the point of the scriptures. They're missing what God has for them and for the people. They're missing it all. They're corrupting it, and he calls them out. Dinner's never just dinner. And last week, Jesus had dinner at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. And Luke makes a point to, to say that the Pharisees, they were watching Jesus closely, carefully. 
I believe it says. And the, the Pharisees were out to get Jesus. They wanted his, his ministry to end. They wanted him to stop teaching on the kingdom and that he was, had come as God's anointed. And if you remember, there was a man who had dropsy, this edema, a condition of fluid buildup in various parts of the body. Before healing this man, he actually looks at the Pharisees and he says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they don't say anything, and he heals the man. And after healing him, he turns to them, and he asks, which of you, one of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? They couldn't reply. Jesus is teaching them, those who should know the law, he's teaching them the true heart of the law. And they didn't have anything to say. And the dinner fund doesn't stop there. He then focuses his attention on, on everyone else who were invited. And how when they came to the party, they all sought these seats of honor. They wanted to get as close to the important spots as they could. And he teaches them about their pride. They're puffed up with this pride. Pride in their status. In, in, in their works. And Pastor Lou gave a wonderful reminder last week when he said, there is value in what you do, but what you do does not give you value. What seat you rush to, all the things you do, our own righteousness, that's not what makes us valuable. It's us being image bearers of God. We all have value. So Jesus gives them a helpful tip. He says, when you come, sit at the lowest place. Sit at the, the furthest place away that the host might actually say like, hey, bud, come on. Come sit with me. Come sit up close in the higher place. That would actually bring more honor than trying to just seize it for yourself. But, but that takes humility, which is a tough thing for probably most of us. And Jesus ends that parable saying, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And we, of course, see Jesus himself exemplify that far better than, than anyone ever could, would, or will. And you would think that would be a good place for dinner to end. Like, all right, we should probably wrap things up. Things are getting a little tense around the table. But it doesn't end, and we pick up right where we left off. And what we're going to see as we continue this meal is that there's tremendous Eternal blessing in patient humility. Continuing this, this look at selfish pride. There's tremendous eternal blessing in patient humility. And so we'll look at four, four headings. Whoops, I skipped ahead twice. The guest list advice, the bold assumption, the rejected invitation, and the banquet goes on. So let's look first at verses 12 to 14. It says, He had also to the man who had invited him, said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So 
So Jesus is turning his attention back to the host. And he's highlighting another aspect of selfishness and pride. He's looking at the guest list. Who was invited there today? See, they were in a scratch my back and I'll scratch yours type of culture. They were inviting people to their meals that would then in turn say, now you come over to my house and I'm going to give you a really good meal. And it was this, this cycle of repayment. There wasn't this true just hospitality. Come over because I just want to give you a meal. There wasn't that pure just giving to give. But true hospitality, true genuine care gives just to give without expecting anything in return. And we see this principle shown throughout the scriptures. The scriptures that these men were supposed to know. And Jesus challenges them in this moment. He says, don't only invite over friends and family and super rich people. Invite someone who might actually just need a meal. Who truly needs to just be treated with someone who has dignity and value. Because as people pass them by on the streets, they're not feeling that. That was an unheard concept back then. And we see that in their society. That, yeah, the, the poor and the handicapped and anything that was, was different like that, they had their place out there. And the religious elite and those who looked good had their place in here. And they stayed, they stayed separate. It's not going near them. But that doesn't sound like God's people. That sounds like a social club where you have to have exclusive membership to even enter. That's, that's not God's people. That in and of itself is the problem. God's representatives on earth, his people, weren't reflecting his nature and his character. They weren't showing his love and his compassion. So Jesus says, don't just invite Everyone in your social circle, circle, reach out. Now, it's not a prescription to then never, right? Don't, don't ever have friends and family and people who might happen to be rich over for dinner. Like, this is not a prescription of Jesus. Of, of course not. We see him recline with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. We see him eat meals with his friends all the time. Jesus is doing what Jesus does consistently. He's challenging the heart of those he's speaking to by addressing the problem. We saw that last time uh, that I had the chance to preach, and we, Jesus was teaching, and this man uh, pipes up and says, Jesus, tell my brother to give me half my inheritance. Jesus doesn't touch the actual inheritance issue. He speaks to the heart and talks about covetousness. And that's what he's doing here. He's addressing the heart. As Jesus sits at the table of this high Pharisee, he speaks to the issue of their selfish pride. The heart that their tendency was to do only that which would make them look good, that would get them something in return. The question being asked within their clique, within their culture was, what's in it for me? What's in it? What do I get out of this? If I had to, if I, if I just had to liken it to maybe a character from a show like, I don't know, Seinfeld. <laughs> I just, that one came out. I would think of someone like Seinfeld's nemesis, Newman. 
right? He's always like, what's in it for me? Like maniacal, conniving, selfish. That's the Pharisees. They're always asking, what's in it for me? And frankly, if we look at ourselves in a mirror, we could all probably say, I've been guilty of asking that question. What's in it for me? That's the wrong question. It's not a gospel question. It's not a kingdom question. It's a selfish, sinful, worldly question. Doing something by just saying, what's in it for me? If we are a part of God's family, then what's in it for me should be the last thing on our minds. What's in it for the sake of others? What's in it for the sake of the kingdom? And so Jesus is telling them, change the guest list. God cares about the outcast. He cares about the poor and the downtrodden. He's telling them, you should care too. Invite them in knowing full well you're not getting an invite to dinner from them. But just invite them in. But that takes a kingdom mindset. That takes understanding, loving those who can't give back in return may not have a physical return for you. But no, and Jesus tells them, there will be a future repayment. Right? He says, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. There is tremendous eternal blessing in patient humility. You can give generously now. Love generously now. And there is eternal blessing and a reward in store for later. You'll have your reward when you're resurrected with Christ and enjoying eternity with Him. Forget about the gain that you have here and now. Give, host, love without expecting anything in return. That's a beautiful picture of the gospel, right? That's what Jesus did. He willingly came down to live amongst broken creation, willingly goes to the cross to give his life that we might be saved, not saying, okay, what do I get in return? No, it's a free gift given in love and mercy to be received. Jesus lives out what he's saying. We're never going to be able to repay what's been given. Nothing can come close to what Christ provides, and he does it willingly it's not like jesus is surprised by that like well really hold on i'm gonna i'm gonna die they're not gonna give me anything i'm just giving them a gift like he wasn't surprised by that he knew that that true love doesn't expect anything in return right jesus himself says the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many Selfless, giving, not expecting anything in repayment. Jesus addresses the heart of the issue, but it doesn't seem that Jesus is really getting through to their heart. And look how one man decides to chime in. Bold assumption. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, he was probably chiming in maybe to turn the, the conversation a little bit. Like, let's, all right, let's calm down. Let's move on to other things, Jesus. And speaking of the resurrection of the just, let me just add, blessed everyone who's going to 
eat bread in the kingdom of God. And we might not think much of that phrase. You might even say, yeah, whoever does get to eat bread in the kingdom of God is pretty blessed. But this man, and presumably all those men dining at the table, had the assumption that they were, without a doubt, going to be seated at that table. That they were going to be recipients of the promised feast with God. And they're referencing Isaiah 25, and I'll read that in a second. But it's a bold assumption to make based on everything Jesus has been telling them time after time after time. But that doesn't come as a shock. But where they see themselves seated already in their, in their minds is it what Isaiah paints the picture for in Isaiah 25, 6-9, where he says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of mar- marrow, and of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He'll swallow up death forever. The Lord God will wipe away tears from all their faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And that's a beautiful text. That's a beautiful picture. And this man was assuming, based not on his faith, but on his heritage, on his position, that he already had a seat at this feast. It's a done deal. That's not how it works. It's never how it works. Salvation has always been by grace through faith. We see that going all the way back to Genesis where it says Abraham was counted righteous by his faith. God calls his people throughout all times to put their ultimate faith and trust in him. That's how we get a seat at the table. And these men who Jesus is dining with they were putting their hope and their heritage and their reputation and all the works that they've done and their appearance how, and all these worldly things. And they think, no, I'm definitely, without a doubt, I'm going to be at that seat. That's why this man says it with such confidence. And he, he's probably trying to quiet Jesus down on calling out their pride and their selfishness. But in reality, it just gives Jesus a springboard to launch into the reality of the situation for them. So Jesus tells a parable. Jesus doesn't even acknowledge, again, just like the other time we see it, he doesn't acknowledge what the man says. He just goes into the parable. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry. It was customary back then for 
things like banquets and feasts to kind of have a two-invitation type deal where you had the initial invitation that would go out. This is like what we would, might receive in the mail. It's like, are you coming? RSVP? Yes, no. How many people? Fish? Whatever. Um, so they would RSVP. That would give the host, obviously, the idea who's, who's planning, who can make it. The second invitation, which is the one we're seeing here in this text, is that the people who said they were coming, they're being notified. The feast is ready. Come on. Let's go and enjoy it. To renege at this point would be a complete and utter smack to the face of the one throwing the banquet. But what Jesus is showing is that despite that social faux pas, there's still just excuses flowing. The first guy is pre, too preoccupied with a field that he bought. I bought a field. I gotta go stare at it. I can't make it to dinner. Please have me excused. Like, you bought a field? You haven't seen the field that you bought? You gotta go look now on the day of the banquet? Seems like poor planning. I gotta go, you gotta go look at dirt? That's cool. <laughs> The second guy is not much better. He's like, I just, I just bought 10 oxen, right? five yoke, two apiece. But I didn't see them yet. I got to go check out and make sure that they are oxen and that I didn't hit a bad Craigslist ad. <laughs> no one would buy 10 oxen without seeing them first. But he at least says, please have me excused. A lousy excuse. But these first two men, they say, please have me excused. The third guy, he decides to use his marriage as an excuse. Like, I married a wife, therefore I, I can't come. <laughs> I really want to, but sorry, guys. I had to stay home. He doesn't even ask to be excused. He's just like, marriage, right? <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> Would let me go to the banquet all day long. That's not a good excuse. Like, maybe if he's like, we're, we're drafting you for the military, he'd be like, ah, 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 I get a year off. I just got married. Like, that would make sense. That would have been biblical. But instead, he's just like, sorry. I, I, I got married in between the invitation and the whole thing. I can't go. But none of these are good excuses. The, all, these, all these examples that Jesus is giving is men preoccupied with unimportant things over this banquet, this feast that's been prepared for them. They're being selfish. The meal's already made. It's time to come and enjoy it. And they're saying, sorry, I can't make it. I have, I have my own stuff going on. And what's the result? The master of the house became angry. And rightfully so. Anyone who's thrown a wedding uh, reception and gotten married had a reception and you're catering it and you you have everyone rsvp you got all your your ducks in a row the the table settings i I'll never forget being like 23 and seeing how much like a plate at a wedding cost even for a cheap one and you're like i don't i don't spend that if i go out but okay and you prepare for the people to come and then when the ceremony hits and you see empty seats and you're like that was that was 20 bucks a plate. You get upset. And not only because the money that you spent, 
But you wanted the people there. You invited them. And now they're not here. We can sympathize with the master in this story. I understand. And what Jesus is getting at to this room of Pharisees and those alike, that as, as bad as the guests are in the parable, how much worse are they toward God himself? God set aside Israel to be his chosen people, and these leaders were to, to be leading them and demonstrating what being a follower of God, Yahweh, was supposed to be. Their lives were supposed to be set apart, set aside for his glory. They were living for his namesake. They were invited to the banquet. And when Jesus comes to, to tell them, the banquet's ready, the Messiah is here, I'm the guy. Come, come with me, follow me. The Pharisees are too distracted by their own stuff, their own kingdom. They reject Jesus. They're rejecting the summons. They're spitting in God's face. That's, again, not a shock to Jesus. John 1 tells us that Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. They had their own agenda in front of them. And they've long forgotten truly the God that, that led them out of Egypt. They've forgotten the God who provided manna for their ancestors in the desert. They forgot the God who delivered their people from exile and restored them to their homeland. They're preoccupied with their status and their rules and their traditions. In the name of religion, they're, they're willingly allowing themselves to be excused from the banquet for the earthly blessings that lie in front of them. They're missing that there's tremendous eternal blessing and patient humility. Jesus is saying, the master's angry. What you're doing is not honoring to him, despite what you may think. We need to ask ourselves, as always when we approach the text like this, how can we relate? Are we, are we so different from those in the parable? How, how often do, do we not make, how often do we make excuses for not coming to the, the banquet of God's word, the feast that we have in front of us? Available in more ways now than literally ever before. Books. Phones, tablets, computers, whatever. You can find a Bible if you look for five minutes. Right? But we have our own excuses. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I can't do it. I say we. I include myself in this. And I could go on with examples, but the master of the feast is worthy of our time, is worthy of our attention. And we miss it when we get too focused on ourselves and pride and selfishness gets in the way. Those in the parable, they don't see it that way. They, don't, they just leave the master angry. They're going to go look at their field, their oxen. But the good news is that the master doesn't then just cancel the banquet. It's going to happen. He just widens the guest list. So The banquet goes on. Verse 21b, he says, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city. Bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. 
The servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Jesus is immediately applying the group of people he mentioned earlier. And invite, right, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, bring them in. And now in this story, we're seeing him use them as the illustration. The, the, the master doesn't draw up a new guest list of, of more like, well, who else could I really invite? No, he then just says, you know what? If they're not going to come, then I'm just opening the doors. Go out and tell everyone in the city, in the town, whatever, that they can come. I'm having a banquet. The food's ready. Come. I picture this, the servant just going out up and down the street saying, hey, you know the, the big place over here? Everyone's invited. We got a banquet. We have the best food. We got everything. Come, you're invited. It doesn't matter if you are rich, poor, whether you can walk well, whether you got to be carried. It doesn't matter. Come to the banquet. You're invited. Up and down the street so everybody knows. Some come, and surely some don't, because the servant comes back and he tells, tells the master, he's like, I spread the word. I, I've told those who you told me to tell, but yet there's still room. And the master doesn't say, all right, get the takeout boxes ready, because I got a lot of food. And I really expected this place to be filled, but I guess we're just sending it home. No. He says, uh, we're going to widen this even further. Go out to the highways and the hedges Compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Go to those people who aren't even from our town and invite them to come. You know, it's like if we were having a banquet here and people didn't come who were invited. Shame on you. But we're having a banquet in this space and we're like, all right, head down to Selkirk, tell them, go all the way down to Ravina. Look to Bethlehem, Delmar. If they're still not, let's go across the river. Let's head downstate. If we have to, and I mean really have to, we'll go into Jersey, but we will get people <laughs> at this banquet. <laughs> Tell them all. There's room. And Jesus doesn't, the master in the parable, he doesn't just say, Tell them to come. He actually says, compel them to come. Make them an offer they can't refuse. The master wants them to come. Why? So that his house may be filled with people who want to be there. No seat left empty. Standing room only. Come to the feast. And Jesus is describing... What he's describing here with this dinner party is this widening of the kingdom of God, the, the reach of the gospel. It's going from very small and localized to, no, we're going to, this is expanding. All are invited to join. And it's, it's expanding from the inside out. Jesus is reaching out to those that were still a part of the Jewish people, right, with the story by going out in their community. It's just not the elite anymore. It's the regular people, it's the, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, anyone who will hear it. The kingdom expands. 
the good news of the coming kingdom, the hope of the banquet feast, was going to the marginalized that society deemed unworthy of such an invitation. Jesus says, no, everyone who will come is invited. This harkens back to what Jesus almost got murdered for back in Luke 4 when he preaches in the synagogue. When he stands up to teach and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. If you remember, people got rather upset at Jesus and tried to toss him off of a cliff. People don't like to hear. Back then, they did not like to hear, this is for everyone. The kingdom was here for those who have been on the outside looking in. Jesus is demonstrating the value of all of God's image bearers. The high and the low, the rich and the poor, the healthy and the sick, the free and the captive, everyone. And once that word went to everyone in the city, it just went out further. The scope is looking beyond Israel, outside the city limits, to the highways, the hedges. And what Jesus is doing when he says that, and they would understand this, is he's, he's saying Gentiles. And for them, that was the G word. That got people upset. What do you mean the Gentiles are now going to be invited to the banquet? Whenever Jesus starts bringing the Gentiles in the mix, people get a little more defensive. They, they, the people he was dining with, they viewed themselves above the Gentiles. No, we, we are Israel. We are God's people. They are Gentiles. But they're all image bearers of God. When the exclusivity of being a part of God's chosen people extends to those that the Pharisees see as less than, it rubs them the wrong way. But most of us, being Gentiles, I would presume, we hear that and we think, that is wonderful news. I wouldn't be here if it didn't extend to the highways and the hedges. But they didn't see it that way. This was a threat to their kingdom, their way, their rituals. And what they're missing is that their way of doing things, their kingdom that they're building for themselves, was stopping them from getting to the feast. They're ignoring the servant. They're electing to ignore the good news. And they're standing on the assumption that, well, it doesn't matter if I go look at a field, care for my oxen, just get distracted by my wife. I don't know how to say that negatively. But when it be, I mean, marriage can be an idol, so that's, that's clear. It happens all the time. But they're so distracted what's going on in front of them, they're missing the feast. They're missing what's better. That they're like, it doesn't matter what I get distracted with. I will always have a seat at the table. Are you kidding me? Do you know who I am? The master's saying, no, no, no. The banquet is for those who hear the call of my servant and respond and come. If you reject him, you reject me, and there's no seat for you. Jesus says plainly in verse 24, For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. 
And I wonder if those sitting there truly caught what Jesus was saying. Right? This man pipes up and he says, Blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus launches into this parable. Do they get what he's saying? And they're probably, they're probably sitting there saying, wow, that stinks for those guys. I'm glad that's not me. But not having a seat at the table of God's banquet is the grim reality for those that put their stock in all their own merit and what they bring, who they are based on their, their status and their own righteousness. It's a sad reminder that not everyone will come to the call of the servant. They won't come to the banquet. But as with all these warnings that Jesus gives, pretty damning warnings that are bad news, they always are a gracious gift because they provide the opportunity to look inward, to reflect on just how holy and good God is hopefully see the, our own sinful wickedness and repent and turn and say, you know what? Actually, the, the, field, the field can wait. i got to go to the banquet. Reorient our priorities. That's the power of the gospel. It's, it's bad news for those who ignore it, but the best news when we recognize, wait, God is gracious. God is loving. What he has is better. I'm going to turn from where I was going and run to him. And I'll say this also, because I don't want to just paint society in these tiers of, of what's righteous and what isn't. Just because someone's poor or marginalized doesn't suddenly make them any less sinful or any less prideful than the Pharisees. It, both are groups that, apart from Christ, apart from accepting the invitation of grace through faith, are dead in their trespasses and sins. The point is not rich, bad, poor, good. That's not how it is. It's everyone's in debt that they can never pay or afford. The words we just sang in the second song today. No one can afford the debt apart from Christ. It's not about one group is better than the other. It's the group that heard the call, saw that was being told to them, was good and was better than what they have before themselves, and they went to the banquet. And today Jesus is calling us to the same thing. He's calling us to see he's better than those things that we are prioritizing in our lives. He's better than the sin we chased. There's a, a feast that's better awaiting for us if we would, would see it and we would respond to the call through faith and trust. He'll take us to that banquet. Do we see that? Do we believe it? There's tremendous blessing in humbly leaning on Jesus and patiently awaiting the eternal reward that is to come. So what does that mean for us in the here and the now? If, we, if we've received that gift of salvation by grace through faith in Christ, we become the ones on the streets telling people, hey, there's a feast. The master has a banquet like nothing else. Come to the feast. It's open to anyone who will take the step of faith. That's what we're called to do. We become the heralder. 
Right? We have a great commission. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And I think of what Jesus tells the disciples before he ascends. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. The circle widens. We join that mission. We share in the hope that we too, we once were lost on the outside looking in, distracted by our own idols, but now we're found. And we've tasted of his goodness and we want others to taste it too. Don't let selfish pursuits of this world distract you from enjoying the tremendous blessing of the eternal hope of Christ. Christ is inviting you to put your faith and your trust in him. He's inviting you to the banquet. Will you come? Let's pray together. Father, we praise and thank you for your goodness to us. The grace that you've shown us in the gospel. And the person and the work of your son, Jesus Christ. And we just ask that you would help us to see this morning the beauty of the salvation that's offered through the cross, his shed blood, and the empty tomb. That our ultimate faith and hope would be on Christ and Christ alone. Let us see that he's inviting us to something better than what's in front of us. And may that invitation humble us. That in light of his goodness, we would see the reality of our sin, repent, Turn to him that he would forgive us of those sins. We don't deserve the invitation of the feast, but we thank you for graciously extending it to us. And it's my prayer this morning that if there is one who has not accepted that invitation, that your spirit would move them to that end today. That you would reorient all of our hearts and our minds on seeing your beauty and your goodness. That the master's banquet is better than anything we see before us on this earth. Help us to see the tremendous blessing that awaits those who humbly and patiently lean on you and you alone for salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.